Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got a boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon, and I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. Bonnie, it's uh, it's been a very, very busy second half of the month of May. Uh, yes. We will get into the stats here in a little bit, but since we taped last Saturday, we mm-hmm. had, by my count, at least three relevant tornadoes that we need to discuss. Uh, and the first one hits really close to home with you, and it was an El Reno tornado rated mm-hmm. an EF three, correct? Yes, yes. EF3, it was on the ground for like four minutes. It literally hit two structures. It hit a hotel and then the corner of a mobile home park. And I think it destroyed or damaged two or three of those mobile homes. So really, El Reno is not heavy, heavily populated. And so for it to touch down right there and really do some serious damage to a couple of structures, just like that was just crazy. And, you know, we look at the storm, especially the El Reno tornado. Bonnie, it, it, it wasn't a classic supercell. It wasn't, you know, a rotating storm that we had seen coming for miles. It was really part of a front coming through. Yeah, it was It was more like embedded in, in a squall line. Um, in fact, in that same squall line, um, there was a tornado warning for my area and we, you know, I had my, my friend Courtney was over and we were prepared to go get in my storm shelter because I mean, the sirens were going off everything. And so that line tried to put down a tornado in a couple of different spots. And after El Reno, it did actually drop in that from that same section of the storm, another tornado that hit an outdoor art show that was going on. Um, so it really, it was, it kind of came out of nowhere, but that's, that's why you always got to be alert. Like it's not always going to be the classic supercell that puts down an EF three, like for it to be an EF three out of a squall line. That's pretty, that's pretty, that's less high end. That's a medium end tornado right there. So. Right. And you look at the footage that was taken of the hotel and the trailer park, and you can mm-hmm. see clearly why they rated it an EF three. I will say this. I was watching, uh, you know, Oklahoma news nine with you. Um, I was streaming it back here in Portland. And the fact that they had a reporter literally staged across the street and he got the first video of it, one, yeah. was freaky, two, awesome, three, it's award-winning footage. I hope they submit that for, you know, news awards in Oklahoma and then nationally because the fact that you were there first and literally the guy was there first. Mm-hmm. And you look at the video and you're like, okay, this this really did just happen. And the guy's tweet was fantastic. Like, hey, I was just in a tornado. I'm totally fine, but buildings across the street aren't. Yeah. And yeah, I think he was in a gas station parking lot. Yeah, like, he was across the street. Yeah. Man, just yeah. incredible footage, incredible, you know, storm structures with stuff like this. And, you know, like you said, there are little notches in this line that were moving through. Mm-hmm. And El Reno had a tornado. There were other reports of tornadoes that night. But we look at then the next night when we go into Monday the 27th. Uh, this, you know, the threat had really kind of shifted more to the Northeast. It was mm-hmm. really cool. in like this, like T shape across the Midwest, uh, streaming up from the Texas panhandle, Oklahoma panhandle around Oklahoma city. And then really through the Ohio river Valley out through Pennsylvania, New York city, 
uh, the state of New Jersey and then out to the coast. And storms were forming kind of all day long, and we knew that if we were going to get tornadoes, chances are they'd probably be nighttime storms. Well, that also happened. And the poor folks of Dayton, Ohio, not only did they get hit once, they got hit twice. And looking at the radar signatures of these two storms in particular – were one really scary because you just had a pretty big tornado blow through the north part of town and then right behind it in that same training effect you had storm number two yeah and i don't know what those were rated i i want to say they were upgraded from ef3 to ef4 or one of them was i uh, think i will go look here but i'm pretty sure so i mean those were pretty serious tornadoes and i mean i was watching it i was looking at radar and that was that had to have been so scary in the middle of the night. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was the middle of the night, but it was pitch black outside. Um, I think after they said something like 5 million people were without power, mm-hmm. I think. And that's huge. I mean, that's that whole city, that whole area without power. So, right. I mean, we've, we've here in Oklahoma, we've been there. We've definitely been there with big tornadoes coming through, not late at night at, at, when it's dark, but we definitely feel for them down here. We completely understand what it's like to be hit by massive tornadoes. Absolutely. And you are right. It was upgraded from EF3 to an EF4 um, in the little town. I want to say it's Salina, Ohio, but it's probably not pronounced that, but that's okay. Um, but so just you near. You can never tell across the yeah, country. Sometimes really it's can't. Salina, sometimes it's Salina. <laughs> right. I mean, we have a street in Portland called, it's spelled couch, but it's pronounced cooch. <laughs> Inappropriate. Just don't ask. I- just don't ask. Because <laughs> I think Kansas has a Salina, Kansas. Yeah, so. it, it is, and it's S-A-L-I-N-A, and I know I've been yeah. there, so Salina, Kansas, but maybe this is Salina, Ohio. So oh, our apologies to those of you in Ohio. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know your geography all that well. It doesn't matter because right, I'm, I'm a Michigan guy, so go blue. Uh, <laughs> speaking of shots fired, inside in, inside joke before we tape the podcast. Anyways, um, so we Day- digress. Yeah, so Dayton, Ohio, you know, we hope that you guys are able to get back on your feet. The, the video there is incredible. Mm-hmm. And again, EF4 is a violent tornado. It's, you know, gosh, I don't know. You know, they're saying in the story I'm reading right now, estimated max winds of 170 miles an hour. Jeez. The velocities on, you know, the radar with that storm looked to be somewhere around there, but I wasn't really, you know, sure. It looked like it was bad. I didn't think it was going to be that bad, but, you know, you know, and it looks like even maybe the second storm that followed up, you know, wasn't maybe a small little EF zero. So, uh, you know, we look at these storms and Ohio is definitely no stranger to EF fours. Uh, mm-hmm. They have they happen a lot. Same with Oklahoma. Um, I'm just looking at a quick map here um, from the Wilmington, Ohio National Weather Service office saying that they had an EF4 in 61, 1990, 1974, 1969, 1968, and 2000. Bonnie, we know that in theory, most tornadoes are going to move to the northeast, right? That's just generally the way that they rotate, the way that the storms move. 
This mm-hmm. one east or northeast. Yeah. yeah. This one moved east and then southeast. And it's wow. you know it's again completely different than what we're used to in terms of you know typical storm movement. But the way this tornado moved, it moved south of Brookville, Ohio, uh, through the north part of Dayton, uh, around Harrison Township, and then ended out around Riverside, Ohio. But like I said, this thing did kind of like this weird banana shape, uh, moving east and then curving to the southeast. So um, kind of a very different way that we look at tornadoes. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of reminiscent of what you guys had, um, you know, speaking of El Reno with the EF5 in El Reno, where it did that bowl shape, where it moved in the U, where it yeah. you know, started moving east, and then it went southeast. And e- swung back up. Oh, yeah, and, so- and swung back up. So, you know, I understand the basic movement of tornadoes is usually east-northeast. It doesn't always happen that way. And I think strong storms might have a tendency to maybe not follow that. It'd be something mm-hmm. we'd have to do some, you know, serious in-depth investigation of, but it was pretty well, impressive to watch. That- if they're moving northeast and they make a right turn to a more easterly path, that that's strengthening. Right. And if they turn more left, then they're trying to occlude, which is, you know, weaken and die. So, I mean, moving southeast, that's a pretty serious right turn. So, I mean, that that kind of checks out for it, you know, being a strong EF4. So, right. um, you know, but, I mean, like you said, you can never predict what the strong – thunderstorms are going to do they're they're going to do what they can do you know and sometimes they like to hug an outflow boundary of some sort that keeps them fueled you know so i mean all kinds of things could have come into play to put it on the path that it was on yep so so we look at dayton ohio and then the next day probably (coughs) excuse me for my money one of the more stronger storms and one that got way way too close to a metropolitan area the one that started out in around linwood kansas this mm-hmm. thing was an absolute monster. I'm actually digging through my Twitter feed right now um, to find the gate-to-gate velocities, and I want to say it was around 170 miles an hour. And Ooh. it was just – it was impressive, actually. I think I put it on the weather podcast one, so um, go pull that up real quick. But you look at this storm, and, man, they were expecting this thing to keep going, and uh, gate-to-gate velocity on this storm was 150 miles an hour based on um, what I could do quick math through radar scope. So it was still pretty impressive to watch. And man, this thing was churning them through the countryside. Uh, luckily, didn't do a whole lot of damage structurally. There was debris with it. Um, a lot of it, they said, was biological debris. So stuff from fields, crops, that type of thing. Um, and then it kind of petered out as it got toward Kansas City. But for a long time, man, this thing was on the ground. This thing was churning and it was pretty. How how long was it on the ground for? I really want to say 40 minutes, but I'm don't know where I'm getting that number from, but that's I th- just, I think it was on the ground for 40 minutes, but, um, and I know that it was for the most part, you know, relatively strong. So let's go see what, if they did do the final storm survey, I'm sure they did, but, uh, we'll pull it up here and look, um, do, 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 do. it's funny. Every, every national weather service, uh, office has a different layout on their page. And it's just hilarious to go through and watch. Okay, so here here is what we have. So the tornado that moved through uh, on the 28th, and this was a, a, a late afternoon evening tornado. It went through parts of Lawrence and missed some other things. Um, rated, let me find the, the thing here. It was on the ground. Oh, come on. 
little graphics that never close, and I need them to close. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. Okay, I get it. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, this was rated an EF4. It was on the ground for 31 miles. Max width a mile. 18 injuries, zero fatalities. Estimated peak winds 170 miles an hour. So, Aww. yeah, this thing this thing churned through the countryside. And like I said, it went through. It barely missed the city of Lawrence, which is where the University of Kansas is. It basically split Eudora, Kansas, and Lawrence, and then moved just to the northwest of Linwood, and then basically petered out as you got to around Bonner Springs, which is kind of the unofficial edge of the Kansas City metropolitan area. So uh, the storm was churning along. Uh, it was finally received, uh, it peaked as an EF4 uh, around the town of Linwood. Uh, but man, this thing cycled from an EF0 through an EF3. Uh, for the first, you know, 20 miles. And then, you know, once it kind of went through Linwood, and that's where that debris signature really kind of picked up. Uh, it looked like it kind of choked itself off, and eventually, you know, just about 10 miles down the road, it uh, finally dissipated. So you had that one, and then you had another one um, out in uh, Missouri, which was an EF2, which was on the ground for six miles. And so, uh, you know, it was a very active day in the plains. It was an active week. Uh, but thankfully, once we kind of got that done, we looked at storms um, in Pennsylvania for the second half of the week, uh, mm -hmm. especially like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then it kind of just died off. And so we're kind of now into a pattern where it's more a typical thunderstorm. You know, there are still some marginal risks and some slight risks, uh, and we'll yeah. get to that here in the forecast. But Bonnie, it was it was a it was a busy half of the month of March. I went back and listened to our podcast last year, our first few episodes, where we talked about the very slow chase season, and yeah. we had talked about, well, maybe next year would be better. Well, <laughs> we now have stats to back that up, Yes, uh, especially the month of May, and, you know, just let's quickly jump into this. Um, Bonnie, what did SPC say in terms of, like, total storm reports? Um, as far as, well, tornado reports, yes. their preliminary estimate is 442 for the month of May alone, uh, which is crazy. That's averaging more than 10 a day. Right. So, and that's across the country, but I mean, still, that is a lot. But out of all of that, seven deaths total, which is seven deaths too many, but I mean, for 442 tornadoes, and only seven deaths. That's huge. That means that people are paying attention. That mean I feel like most of the country has been on alert for the past two weeks, like the entire country. You know what I mean? And so sure. I think that these six, seven, and eight-day outlooks and everything are actually really beneficial because I think the whole country has been on alert watching their Twitter feed or however they get their reports to see what their risk area is for where they live. You know what I mean? So I think that I think all in all, the National Weather Service offices and SPC have done a really good job of keeping this country on its toes and alert and watching and paying attention. So I think it's been really good. No, I agree. And I, I would think that, you know, you're right. We look at the amount of data available, right? We, you know, have a way to tally these storm reports. Well, let's go back and look at the three-year average. And we talked about this before we started taping. The three-year average for tornadoes, like actual tornadoes are 226 for the month of May. We have effectively doubled that this May. Yes. And as you said, to only have seven deaths 
and of these 442 preliminary reported tornadoes, four of them have been killer storms. That's that's, that's what one percent. Yeah. Or one of or one tenth of a percent. You know, I'm trying to do the math quickly in my head, but um, that's pretty impressive. And, it's huge. And to go back and look at the amount of deadly tornadoes just in you know the month of May, I want to say that probably the four deadly tornadoes were all at night, and po- probably were quick hitting, like El Reno. Yeah. Where yeah. you could, you, even if you had time to prepare, you were. And if you didn't, you know, chances are that's when maybe one of these storms would have popped up. But to have 442, and folks are like, well, you know, it, this means that it's, you know, super rare that we have. It, these are not uncommon numbers. No. We've had, you know, some slower months lately. Yeah, I understand the average is 226. That's still 226 tornadoes in the month of May. You're going to have months that are really busy and months that are not. I mean, you go back and look at uh, 2018, the month of May, there were 170 tornadoes, okay? In 2017, 291. 2016 was 217. So, you know, the numbers, yeah, it's it's a bigger number this year, but it doesn't matter. There are still storms and still months that you get these a large amount of tornadoes. And again, the pattern was favorable for literally the entire second half of the month of May. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to, to paint that picture, but yeah, it's a lot of storms, but it's not that uncommon. No, it's not. And I mean, especially across the central part of the country, which is where a majority of those tornadoes came from, because that's, that's just what we get. That's what we get in Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, like Missouri. You know, that's just, that's the norm. And right. so, you know, it was just an active season compared to last season. But it's not something out of the norm, like you said. So, and two of those deaths out of those seven, two of those were in El Reno. So, I mean. Yep. Quick hit storm again, you know. Yep. Um as but a, I will say, I don't know if those were from the hotel or from the trailer park. Right. Because that hotel was a two-story hotel. So, you know, I, I never, I didn't look in to see if it was from that or from the, the trailer park. Because either one would make sense, the second story of right. a hotel or being in the, the mobile home. So, I, I'd have those are dangerous areas to be in a tornado. Right. I'd have to go back and actually do some really in-depth research by, I swear I saw on Twitter that in the month of May of the 48 contiguous states, I want to say there was at least one tornado warning in 40 of the 50 or 40 of the 48. Wow. So I'd have to go back and look, but I mean, it, it makes sense. Just the pattern was favorable and you know, yeah. we know we had tornadoes in, you know, you had tornado warning in California, New Mexico, yes. Arizona, Colorado. I mean, just, I'm not going to name all the states, but you know, it was active. And so, you know, when we look back at May of this year, we'll say, hey, this was a chance, you know, that we got to get out and chase. It was a chance for us to do research. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure you saw it. Reed Timmer, uh, you know, your boy from Oklahoma City, uh, apparently put a rocket into a tornado and yeah. it survived and is getting preliminary data. Um, did you go through, have you looked at the, the actual path of this rocket in the storm? 
No, no, I haven't looked at it yet. It's pretty impressive. It's cool. And if this verifies and he actually gets data inside a tornado, I think it will be a game changer. But he released a GPS track and put it on a Google map. And you kind of do like a 360 fly around. But yeah, this rocket that he launched got in a tornado and it spun in the funnel. And then it kind of got probably ejected out. And, you know, some kid found it and was like, oh, hey, Reed, you want your rocket back? <laughs> so... Uh, well, that's know. good. At least somebody nice found it and was like, here. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, most people would be like, oh, it's just debris. Um, yeah. We talked about the Kansas City tornado. Did you see the photos from Kansas City International Airport? No. They had to close down the airport because they were getting debris falling out of the sky from that tornado. Wow. And that tornado ended and was done lofting stuff into the air like 10 miles from the airport. Wow, then, that just tells you how high up it was oh, and yeah. how long it took it to fall down. Oh, yeah. So wow. just just totally impressive. But, man, you know, now that we're into June, um, hopefully we start to quiet down a little bit. Uh, the pattern looks pretty similar, so I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I know that you guys today, Bonnie, are in just like a, you know, a, what is it? Not a moderate risk, but a uh, just a slight risk. I think it's actually just marginal. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're in marginal, and then the slightest just in the panhandle, Texas, Oklahoma yeah. panhandle. But, again, you're still in that pattern, so, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yesterday we were in a marginal, and we had a nice little, you know, 20, 30 minutes of line of severe storms that came through that came all the way through from Kansas and northwest Oklahoma and came right on through Oklahoma City and Moore and Midwest City and disrupted the Tinker Air Force Base air show and – it kind of came out of nowhere, honestly. Like, I, I, you know, I was getting my nails done, and I was like, oh, it's getting darker and darker outside. And then right. severe thunderstorm warnings going off on my phone and lightning detected within 10 miles on my phone. And I'm like, oh, Sweet. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, we have talked a little bit about here, and I won't play the audio because I'm sure everybody's seen it. But let's rewind real quick. Go back to the 27th. Some poor dude. I want to say this guy is out of Colorado, but I could be wrong. This is a weatherman that basically went on air and raged about people complaining that they are missing the Bachelorette. So good, so good. He wasn't in Dayton. Uh, he might have been in Dayton. He could have been in Dayton. That makes sense. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. I don't think I'll be able to play the audio. Let's try it. I don't think this is going to work, but we'll try it. No, it's not going to work. Okay, I tried to see if we could play this here live but it's it's not gonna work but basically this guy comes on and he's like listen i don't care i'm yeah. done with you people so yes he went off and yep. it was so so good and any meteorologist that i've heard on any other podcast or seen on twitter they are all like yes thank yep. you thank you for saying what we are all thinking oh yeah bt dubs the bachelorette comes on hulu Right. They put the new episode on, so even if you're missing it, you can watch it commercial free on Hulu. So everybody right. calm down. Right. It was funny. I streamed you know, I stream a lot of TV across the country, especially severe weather coverage. I like to watch different stations, different markets, how they handle coverage. Um and shout out to WHIO out of Dayton, Ohio. They even were streaming like a little lower third banner that said, Hey, if you want to watch regular coverage, it's available on a second channel. Yeah, and you know, there's a couple of stations here that do that too. They're like, here's the, the substation or what yep. I don't know how it works that they use to to post the regular programming, and so that's good. So that can you know, 
they're trying to please everybody. They're trying to take yep, care of the people are. in the path and they're trying to take care of the people not in the path. So, you know, people are just so entitled and it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it, it, it really does make me laugh. But hey, you know, again, it's all about it's all about letting people know what's coming. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot on the show. We've talked about it on other podcasts where if we can relate to people and help them explain what is happening, it does mm-hmm. a benefit. Uh, I tweeted this out yesterday. Uh, you know, I'm a big IndyCar guy. Last Sunday, I'm tracking thunderstorms moving toward Indianapolis. Thankfully, it didn't affect the race, which was great. But this week, the IndyCar series is in Detroit. They do a doubleheader weekend, so they have a race on Saturday and a race on Sunday. Yesterday, just before the green flag was supposed to drop, a line of thunderstorms were moving through. And so they had to tell everybody you need to seek shelter. You can go into the media center. You can go into some of these other areas. You'll be okay. Well, in the actual severe storm warning that Detroit, NWS Detroit put out, it said people attending the Art on the Grand, which is a giant art festival, the Birmingham uh, Village Fair, and the Detroit Grand Prix should uh, seek shelter immediately. And it's one of those things where, you know, listen, the National Weather Service, these guys are amazing at what they do in terms of relaying watches, warnings, and information you need to know. However, when you take the additional second or two or know that something is happening where there are large p- crowds of people, right? it helps because it will get the word out. There are people I'm sure that were on the racetrack in Detroit is on an island. It's in the middle of the Detroit River. It separates the United States and Canada. And so it's a park. There's not a whole lot of permanent buildings there. There are some, but not a lot. But when you put in that language into a warning and somebody's phone goes off and they're reading it, which I hope they do, and they say, oh, I'm at the Detroit Grand Prix. This means me. Yeah. I need to see shelter. It makes it more real. It does. Yeah. And so I was just, I was really impressed that NWS Detroit did that. It doesn't happen a whole lot. It's starting to happen more, which I'm very thankful for, but I'm glad that that happened. Yeah, me too. And that like really makes it hit home for people and they go, oh, it's not just some broad area. It's like, wow, my exact location where I'm standing. So I should probably make moves to get to a safe spot. So yeah, I think that's so, so good. Um, There is a podcast from uh, the American Meteorological Society called AMS on the Air hosted by three uh, AMS guys um, that are all sp- that span whether one is a TV meteorologist I want to say in Miami and the other two gentlemen are research guys and the podcast is great because they, they span a whole lot of different topics but they talk to a University of Oklahoma professor um, you're gonna have to help me with the name again because I butchered it the first time uh, Kevin Kleisel. yeah Kevin Kleisel. and Kevin's whole thing is about you know, keeping people safe in large events, sporting mm-hmm. events, outdoor activities. If you get a chance, go listen to the podcast with him because it is really important that people understand. And we harp on this on the show a lot that if you're outside and a warning comes up, you need to seek shelter. You just have to. Yes. Even if it's not raining, the lightning can strike miles outside of a storm. So that is the main thing is the yeah. lightning. Lightning the lightning. One of our followers on Twitter, um, it's I want to say it's Becky DePodwin. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, yeah, Becky DePodwin. She is uh, on Twitter at weather underscore Bex, B-E-C-K-S. She's got a BS in meteorology, a master's in emergency management. 
She's all about the communication with crisis and risk. A great follow on Twitter. And I want to say that she had posted something about one of her favorite games was to go through and look how far lightning strikes away from like an actual storm. Mm-hmm. And it was, there was one strike and I want to say it was like 15 or 20 miles away, which just proves the point. It's not, you know, it's not anything that doesn't happen. It's not unusual, but that's you, so far. That's so far outside of a thunderstorm. That's huge. It is. It really is. Um, here it is. Let's see here. I'm having to scroll through her feed. I didn't save it. So, um, but you go through, it's true. And, you know, we talk about that in the community about, Hey, weather can affect a lot of people. And lightning does not just stay within the confines of a thunderstorm. Lightning is an electrical charge. It's the always finding the path of least resistance. And occasionally it gets, you know, away from the storm and it happens. And, you know, when it strikes a long way away, you understand why, because the atmosphere is primed. Just because you have a thunderstorm overhead does not mean it's not going to strike you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, that's that's the main thing. And that's why a lot of sporting events and outdoor concert venues have that rule that if it's within 10 miles, if the storm is within 10 miles, they will shut it down, even if it's not raining over them at the time, because it can strike so far out. But I mean, obviously, 10 miles is still too close, but I guess they have to find a happy medium. Yeah. And, you know, go listen to the podcast because they talk about that. Some places are 10 miles. Others are further out. Um, Major League Baseball leaves it up to the umpires to determine if they need to evacuate. And we've seen way too many, you know, cool video shots of, you know, thunderstorms coming in to a ballpark and it's, you know, lightning's on top of it and the crowd is still all there. Yeah. So, man, just absolutely crazy. So we look at that. It's been an active month of May. Hopefully June is a little bit quieter, so we will see. But now I mean, as, June can yeah. still be a little active as far as tornadoes go around here. I mean, not oh, as active as May, but I mean, so we'll we'll see how, how June pans out. But there's one thing I did want to mention. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter during the Dayton uh, tornado event, how everyone was yelling at the Weather Channel. Yes. And then like, why aren't you you know, wall to wall covering this, like there's people's lives at stake. And like, I mean, people from all over the country were going off. There were people here that live in Oklahoma that were going off on them being like, why are you just showing regular programming? And finally the weather channel responded and was like, we are, we have cut in there in that part of the country, Right. the rest of the country. We're just showing regular programming. And a lot of people were like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. And I didn't know they could do that, but that was just very interesting to see Twitter and people from all across the country freaking out, being like, why aren't you taking care of these people? So that was just an interesting spat on Twitter. Right. We'll jump, we'll let's jump real quick into the, into the technology of it because I do know a little bit about this. So the weather channel, when you watch it, you get your local on the eights, right? Mm-hmm. It's tailored to usually your city. Um, yes. It's funny. I don't know if it's tailored out here to just one city or just kind of like the next major, um, like hub. So I grew up in the town of Beaverton, Oregon. Beaverton's about three miles north of where I am right now. However, my entire life, every time I watch the weather channel, anytime I've ever been, you know, any of the houses that I've lived in, it's always been Beaverton. It didn't matter if I lived in Tigard or King Mm -hmm. city or Portland, it's always been Beaverton. So Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if that's just because I've had the same account for way too long, but that's just how it works. So I think here it's always been Oklahoma City for me, whether I've been in Yukon okay. or Moore or South Oklahoma City. It's just always Oklahoma City. So I think it is like kind of the major metropolitan. Gotcha. I'd, and, I, and I'd have to ask them, you know, somebody that knows a little bit better than I do. But so the Weather Channel, when they started, they pioneered the system called WeatherStar. And this is a piece of technology, and it's a computer that all of the cable systems that carry the Weather Channel, they have multiple of these units. And so basically what it is, it's allowing the Weather Channel to broadcast your local forecast on your local on the 8s. So that's why when you tune in... Um, you know, at 4.08 in the afternoon, Jim Cantori reads you your forecast for your area. Well, because WeatherStar is connected directly to the Weather Channel, they can isolate individual markets and do breaking or cut-ins for that area. So, yes, why there was lack of coverage nationwide for that. And again, you also have to remember when this tornado came through Dayton, Ohio, it was at night. The mm -hmm. Weather Channel is not fully staffed with, you know, 300 meteorologists at night yeah they have a staff there they were doing live cut-ins they were doing broadcasting they were doing what they should and again i understand the public outrage we are used to turning on the weather channel and you see greg postel and you see you know all the different guys there you see you know mike bettis and mike seidel and jim cantori and let's just go right down the line we're used to seeing those guys and so when something like this happens you know you're like whoa hold up here you know, you guys claim to be the weather experts and you guys are the leading weather, you know, network in the United States and all your other little catchy catchphrases. And we all love you guys, but why aren't you on? Well, lo and behold, they were. And just because we're not in Dayton, Ohio, we didn't see it. So I understand the public backlash. I absolutely understand it. But the fact that they were on in Dayton, I applaud them. I personally wish they had been nationwide coverage. I would have enjoyed watching that. Yeah. But... You know, and there wouldn't have been a way to tune into that, like on their on. If you maybe if you had downloaded their local now app, which is kind of one of their little subsidies, um, of the channel, and, like switch the and then and then maybe switch your location to Dayton, you would have been able to watch it. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't really think that there was a way to do nationwide coverage. I mean, listen, I'm sure they could have. I'm sure they yeah. could have walked in and you know. You know, just I've, turn it on for yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, but... I've, wor I've worked in TV, and you just have to have somebody master control basically switch your feet. And so they could have done that. But, again, I understand why they didn't go national. I mean, it was it was an isolated incident for the most part. There wasn't a whole right. lot else happening. So I get it. But oh, we leave May, and we go into June. And, Bonnie, what happens June 1st? One, it's meteorological summer, so happy summer to you. Yes. And, two, it's the official start of the tropical season. Yes, which we're already looking at a second named storm. So. We are. We could be looking at tropical depression or subtropical depression, Barry. Um, there is a disturbance right now in the Bay of Campeche. Uh, it is forecasted to move uh, northward over the next day or two. Um, it could become a tropical cyclone before it moves inland in a day or two. Uh, the disturbances likely produce heavy rainfall over portions of the southwestern and eastern Mexico during the next few days. Uh, the Air Force Reconnaissance were scheduled to take a mission this afternoon, but that has been canceled. However, they will fly and investigate the disturbance tomorrow afternoon if needed. Um, interest along the Gulf Coast in Mexico should 
uh, monitor the progress of the formation. The formation through the next uh, 48 hours is 60%. Formation chance through the next five days, 60%. Um, there is no cone forecast for this. There's just an area um, that is the Bay of Campeche, and then you start to approach the uh, South Texas coast. And Bonnie, uh, if Barry does form, it's going to bring a lot of rain with it in an area that probably doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah, especially if it moves north up into the Texas coast. I mean, yeah, the rain will be the main issue because it looks like it's not forecast to be any major storm. But any amount of rain right now, it's just a good part of the country is saturated. And I just think we need a minute to dry out a little bit. Right. And you know, there's still a lot of flooding going on, especially along the Arkansas river. And as you get down toward the Mississippi river, um, mm -hmm. you were saying the Arkansas river is finally starting to recede. Yes. Um, I think what I read is it's now it's dropped 40 feet, um, which is good. And it's dropping a half an inch every hour. So it is starting to calm down. There's been a lot of towns, underwater a lot of bars and restaurants and things that are beloved to these small towns that are gone um, which is so sad I actually talked to somebody um, you know my job I talk with people about their mortgages and why they're behind and I talked to someone who said that they live up in north uh, northeast Oklahoma and their house is flooded and you know they think they're going to be okay and everything but they have to fix the flooding so they're going to have issues with their payments or whatever and so that was the main reason for their phone call to us but like talking to somebody, a live person, you know, and like getting their story. It's just, it's awful, you know. So it's not just tornadoes that do damage. It is the flooding is huge, yeah. huge. And it's just, it's just, again, all these storms in the same spots for days yeah. and days and days. Yep. It just, you know, so you just need a break. You literally just need the faucet to turn off for a couple days. Yes, like let's dry out, let's let some water recede and flow ultimately into the ocean, I suppose, and right. and you know, let us just dry out a little bit. So Well, let's it doesn't look like that's going to happen. <laughs> right. Hopefully. Well, we'll see. Let's speaking of what's going to happen, let's jump into our forecast. You go ahead. We, you know, we're looking at upper 70s, low 80s the next week, um off and on rain chances, better rain chances for the first half of the week and then um, they kind of dwindle as the week goes on, but um, of course, storms embedded throughout that. Some could be strong to severe at times, but nothing like the severe weather pattern we've been having. Um, it's ma mainly a rain thing is what they're talking about. So we'll just see how much rain we get and what parts of Oklahoma that happens. Well, out here in the West, it's a beautiful sunny day. We're probably going to approach 80 today, which would be fantastic. I'm supposed to go to a concert. I haven't decided if I'm going to go or not. Uh, outside but temperatures will be in the upper 70s for the first part of the week and then start to get cloudy there's maybe a chance of rain as we get toward the weekend but once we finally get into sunday and beyond temperatures look like they're going to start getting real hot so next sunday probably 80 and then monday tuesday wednesday probably flirting anywhere from 85 to 90 wow so. yeah that's that's awesome here's summer it's coming in and i'm kind of ready i really would like to spend some time out at the lake and stuff but it hasn't, you know, been hot yet. And, you know, Memorial Day weekend, we were all kinds of soggy. So I'm ready. Right. Just wait. It's coming. <laughs> well, I can't wait. <laughs> I know, right. Same here. But, you know, weather's finally starting to turn. And, you know, we got 
you know, it's June. We probably have another month of this little, you know, pattern shift where it's nice for a couple of days, rainy for a couple of days, nice for a couple of days. Once we get past the 5th of July, then all, you know, all bets are sunny, nice and warm through uh, probably September. And then, uh, then we get back into the fun season of fall. So Right. And that good old heat dome will take over here in central U.S. So Can't wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not fun. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> well, Bonnie, another fantastic episode of B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. And we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Bye.